Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. And we're here in the spotlight with our host. I'm the ambassador, retired Harry Thomas. And I am the chief retired as well. Harry, I'm excited today because uh, we got a special guest. We have Orator Evangelo, better known as Van Morris, a retired naval officer, university graduate, uh, narcotics trafficker, fighter, volunteer in the community, and a person possessed with one of the great voices that we've ever heard, which he's going to expand upon as he tells us about his work honoring old glory. Van, Mr. Morris, thank you for taking the time. Welcome to the spotlight. Always, always. It's glad. I'm glad to be here. Thank you guys so much for giving me a moment to be with you guys. I appreciate that. I've been looking forward to this for some time now, so I'm glad Glad I got a chance to get in here and uh, you guys had availability. So thank you so much. Well, Van, uh, let's start. Please tell us about yourself, please. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. So a uh, little bit about me. Uh, basically, uh, I'll tell you some stuff that's just not on the bio. Those bios, they they talk about you know, what, what you have done and the kind of the, the wonderful things that's out there. So I'm going to go and get vulnerable just for a moment so that you can really see the, the the nuts and the bolts here. So basically, I come from a family of 16 kids. So oh, wow. I'm one of 16. Uh, I'm number 13 of 16. So you can imagine being on the tail end, you're junior. Nobody really wants to listen to the junior people. You know, so uh, we had two generations. My older brothers and sisters, uh, they dominated, you know, everything. So we were just, uh, you know, left with the breadcrumbs pretty much. So it was a humbling experience growing up in the Morris family. And uh, really, we had two generations. So and of course, I'm, I was at the second generation. I was the only child that had uh, all the other older siblings actually parented me in one way or another. They were all older and, uh, and my mother would send me up to stay with them to do housework and cut the grass and that kind of thing because I was her kind of go-to guy to go and get stuff done. So, so yeah, so I was the worker bee for not only my parents, but also for the rest <laughs> of my siblings. So I left the house, you know, with my mother's and father's blessing at 14, and I never went back home to Louisiana, Folsom, Louisiana. So, uh, and just to give you a little layout of that, uh, my town that uh, where I lived in Folsom, Louisiana, small town population, about 700 people or so. And we were known back in the day uh, for turpentine production. So we would we would uh, produce turpentine. The, uh, the, the surrounding towns produced uh, cornmeal and pay, there was a paper mill and then, uh, you know, sugarcane, those types of things. So, you know, just uh, farming and agriculture, that's basically where I grew up. <laughs> And, uh, and as far as my mother, so even though the bio says, hey, Van was on a nuclear power submarine where you got nuclear weapons, you know, part of the United States triad for strategic deterrence and all of that whiz bang stuff, you know, tritium, deuterium, plutonium, uranium, all of that is where I went. But where I come from is a mother that uh, worked in the cotton field in Selma, Alabama when Martin Luther King was going through his seminary type schools there to my mom, you know, I had to get out of high school and help make ends meet. So my mom and my uncles, they all had to get out and, uh, and work the fields and pick cotton. So this wasn't my grandmother or my great grandmother. This was mom, you know, so wow. that's near and dear and personal. And it really sets the stage for, you know, a person that when you, when you see people, in the military, they may be, you know, doing some great things in the military. But when you look back at where these people come from, it might be uh, rather amazing. So I think that's amazing to have a parents that were picking cotton and eating only two meals a day because that's all that we would they would be able to do and um, and have to do that to make ends meet. 
you know, so uh, and that's kind of the way it was. So we were raised with the highest moral values and culture values for honor, courage, you know, commitment and, uh, you know, taking care of your family, making those sacrifices, respecting people in the neighborhood, respecting folks in the community and working hard to get where you're going to go. So uh, so that's pretty much where where I come from. And uh, once I became a, a an older kid, you know, to get school clothing, my dad would get a whole bunch of the kids on the back of a pickup truck without a canopy, by the way, the back of a pickup <laughs> truck in, in Louisiana and uh, southern Louisiana. And we would have to we would have to transit all the way up. My siblings would have to transit all the way up to Michigan from Louisiana on the back of a pickup uh, with no bed line or anything like that and uh, get there so that we could pick cherries. So we pick cherries, make a little money there, come back to Louisiana, long trip back. And so that you would have enough clo- the money to buy school clothing. So we really had to work hard for everything that we, that we got. So uh, my upbringing was one of a loving family, uh, that believed in love, compassion, but strength, uh, strength in character and, and strength in community. So that's uh, that's pretty much cessation, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of who I am. So let me pause there and see if you got any comments. Wow, on that. this is incredible. <laughs> go ahead, Harry. Jeez. Hey, Ben, before I go to my next, what's your mom's maiden name? Because I have a close friend from Selma. Oh, okay. Okay. Her maiden name is Robinson. Robinson. So, uh, so, and she, uh, was married to my dad Morris, but, uh, in Alabama, it was the Robinson and the Matthews family. So her, her mother's maiden name was Matthews, but her father's name was, uh, last name was with Robinson. Does that, you know, any Robinsons or Matthews? No, my friend, Jim Dandridge's father and uncle were pastors of historic Brown Chapel AME church in Selma. Where Dr. Oh. King used, of course, Jim. Jim was one of the first three African American Green Berets. And, oh wow! And while he was in Vietnam, his his parent his his family was being told, "You you niggers got eight minutes to get eight miles." After Dr. King left, wow. and he was oh my goodness. So I will Man. ask him if he know. He's eighty nine years old now. Okay. Uh, yes. And you know, it's, that's, that's amazing. And you know, what's really interesting too is, uh, you know, my biological father, his mother. So I guess you could say my biological grandmother, uh, on my biological dad's side, uh, she was born in the 1800s. Wow. So you would really look and her grandmother was a slave. So you look at, this is real close and personal, uh, because you look at folks like yourself, myself, and you guys, we're all younger men, but we have, you know, grandparents that were born in the 1800s. You yeah. know, so um, American history is so precious and so near and dear to 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 me that, uh, you know, I have to say that because I want people to know that, you know, when I talk and I talk about patriotism, that I'm not aloof. You know, I'm not disconnected from the struggle. I'm not disconnected from reality and and the, the the plight that has had happened in our past. So uh, so I, as we go along with this interview, you'll see that I'm very strong with regard to American patriotism, uh, but I'm not I'm not uh, aloof in the struggle of uh, what America had to get to to where it is now. Sure, we we love America, but we're not letting her off the hook. <laughs> right. Correct. <Yeah. laughs> uh, ben, why did you join? What attracted you to the United States Navy? It was more, that's a good question. Uh, it was m- less of an attraction and more of a destiny, if I can say that. I don't want to sound uh, too lofty on that, but really I was in um, I was in California. I was in basically Oakland, California. And this guy came comes up to me. I was in the unemployment office. I had just been laid off. And uh, so I was, I was 19 at the time, I was laid off. And this guy came out of nowhere and he met me out of the unemployment office and he was in a white suit and he says, Hey, you know what? You need to, you need to leave your, uh, the job that you left and join the military. And, uh, and he said, Hey, the job you're trying to get is a dead end job. Go ahead and join the military. And, uh, and I thought that guy had some nerve 
I didn't know who he was coming up to me <laughs> and telling me my job that I'm pursuing is a dead end job. I mean, who does that? Right. <laughs> so but he did it. And uh, but, you know, I just wanted to be courteous to him. So I walked away and I turned back to just tell him thanks. And he was gone. So I went <laughs> on that note. I went to the local recruiter's office and in in, in Richmond, California, which is near Oakland. They have all the recruiters stations at the local mall, and they're all just one after the other. The first one was the Army. So my intentions was to join the Army. So I went to join the Army, and the guy had a little uh, wait sign up there saying he'll be back in 10 minutes. I waited 10 minutes. He didn't show up. So the next was the Marine Corps, and they didn't say anything that I wanted to hear with regards to career opportunities. So the next in line was the Navy. And the Navy talked everything I wanted to hear about electronics and uh, so I went on board with the Navy and everything they said, it happened. So I know people give recruiters a bad rap, but I tell you, uh, God must have been smiling on me because I'm telling you, everything that, that recruiter said <laughs> happened, it came to pass. So recruiters love me because I'm like their biggest advocate. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. But you, you, you're. You started as an enlisted soldier, right? And then what motivated you to become an officer? Uh, that, again, was destiny because I had no desire or intention or knowledge of what officers were. I was just ignorant of what an officer was. So here, here we are. I'm in submarine school, right? So I'm enlisted. I'm an E2. And, uh, and the instructor comes in and he says, all right, class is about a class of 30. This is up in um, Newport, Rhode Island. So he comes in and he says, all right, class, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out your name. If I call your name out, stand fast after class at the end of the day. And if I didn't call your name, you're free to go on liberty. So, of course, everybody's hoping that their name isn't called. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, OK, I'm hoping my name is not called. So lo and behold, my name is called. And uh, and he called 11 other guys. And I didn't know the class that well. So I said, you know what? I have no idea why this man called me out like this, but I'm going to stay behind and I'm going to look at the other 11 guys and see if I can see anything significant. We can talk it over so we can kind of find out what this is all about. So and when everyone left except us 12, there was only one thing I noticed right off the bat that was I had in common with the other 11 people. And that was we was all black. So I was like, oh, boy, you know, so this cannot be good. You know, so I'm thinking somebody got raped, somebody beat up some girl in the barracks. This is not good. And they're going to have to ID whoever did it. So I'm like, oh, my God. So they marched us all into the commanding officer's stateroom. And you had the the, uh, the command master chief and the commanding officer who was in 06. So an E-9 and an 06 was right there waiting on us. So we all assembled, sat down and, OK, let's hear it. You know, so they started talking and uh, the senior enlisted. He said, listen, guys, he said, you guys, you know, smart fellas, you can become a commissioned officer if you want to. And I was like, what are you talking about? So he began to go through some things. And that speech that that senior enlisted uh, command master chief gave me, that inspired me and that struck a chord in me like never before. And it was that one speech that let me know that, hey, I can do this, even though I knew nothing about it. And I never forgot the words that he used and that 06 used. And uh, and that impressed me not only to pursue commissioning, but it it showed me how important your words are when you are being a mentor to a mentee or just a group of young people. So it really struck that chord in me. And I said, hey, there's power in what we say. And you never know what young person is listening to you that it will change their life, your one conversation. Wow. So how did public speaking come about? So public speaking, uh, everything just happened. Uh, everything seemed to have almost like a water just flowing and you're just riding a wave. I had no real intention of doing that uh, while I was on my, uh, we call him small boy, uh, the uh, DDG, you know, naval warship. We had a family cruise uh, day, which wasn't just for that one DDG. It was for basically the, the battle group. So the aircraft carrier and what and all the rest of them. So anyway, my commanding officer said, hey, you know what? Told the commanding officer on the carrier that, hey, you might want to get Van Morris to kind of be the narrator for the, the events that's happening with the battle uh, 
you know, the battleships out here. So uh, so we went out and uh, so they brought me on cap the carrier. So the battle group uh, had different activities that it would do. Certain ships would come up and and, you know, pickle off a couple of ordnance and this kind of thing. And I was that guy that was being broadcasted throughout the entire ship. Keep in mind, four to six thousand people on that carrier and all of the small boys, they were there, too. So and that got me thinking like, hey, you know, what? maybe I can do this kind of thing. And one thing led to the next. Next thing you know, I was at the Pentagon and uh, and a couple of, you know, admirals asked me to do actual old glory, the, the original old glory. Um, and and that really was what led me to believe and understand, say, hey, maybe you can do some public speaking. So it started with the Navy warships. Uh, on board as a narrator, and then it went on to the Pentagon, and then it started picking up steam. But it didn't really launch until I got to Special Operations Command. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. And we're back with The Spotlight with Mr. O'Glory Van Morris. So, Van, let's go back to your service. Why did okay. you study engineering technology? Okay. Uh, yeah. Th- thank you for asking that question. So, uh, basically, as a boy, I I was that guy. I was that kid that would take my older siblings, my sisters and brothers. Remember, I'm number 13, and there's a lot of older kids ahead of me. You know, they had money to buy, you know, tape recorders and these kinds of things. I was the technical minded person and I would take their new uh, recording devices and radios and boom boxes and I'll just break them apart because I wanted to know what made them work. Man, I'm telling you, I've really angered so many of my siblings so often because I just wanted to figure that thing out and reverse engineer it all. I was the creator. I was the, the widget guy. So they paid a price. They paid a price. I'm paying the price now as an adult. You know, but, you know, they they paid the price when I was growing up. So I always wanted to do that. Always wanted to do electrical engineering types. Now, but that particular uh, uh, degree there, uh, electronics, tech, uh, electronics engineering or engineering technology was because I reduced the major from electrical engineering to engineering technology. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go for the toughest degree, but. My naval uh, counselors, they advised me to, to throttle back. You're still going to get a degree, but it's not going to be exactly the one that you want. And the reason why they said that is because at the same time, my wife was trying to get her undergraduate degree. And I was actually leaving her behind because I was working so many hours trying to get that degree that she had to half in her, her workload to take care of the kids. We had three children and I wow. didn't see it. I wasn't trying to leave her behind, but I just didn't see it. So I'm so glad that that advisor told me, say, hey, throttle back, let your wife catch up and both of you go and grow together with education. 
And I did that. And we both ended up graduating at the same time, the same year uh, with three kids. Uh, we got it done. <clears throat> so that is that is exactly why I chose that particular degree. And that's the that's the uh, the victory in that story is never leave your spouse behind when you have an opportunity to grow together. Fantastic. Oh, wow. Alex. Uh, why an MBA? Yeah, yeah, real good question there. So uh, the NBA, really looking back, Monday morning quarterback now, I know that that was the right decision. But at the time, I didn't know. I was just moving how I thought I needed to move. So I wanted to do something with diversity to it. So I didn't want to stovepipe my education. And had I gone with an electrical engineering or an engineering technology type master, only then that would just stovepipe me into a certain you know way. So getting that MBA really broadened everything out, and it really allowed me to do what I'm doing now. So I get more bennies from the MBA than I would have had I just stovepiped that out. But you know, you know, being a younger guy at the time, I couldn't have strategically known that. So it was destiny, you know. <laughs> so I didn't really know what I was doing. I just know I wanted to to get things versatile. So I'm grateful that the Navy once again gave me the opportunity to do that. And oh, by the way, my commanding officer on my ship, he actually put me in that major and I didn't ask to do that. So, you know, so it's just amazing how my footsteps were being guided mercifully because if it was all left up to me, I have no idea where I'd be in life right now. So people were taking me by the hand and said, young man, this way, please. <laughs> it's incredible. Hey, your team snared 14 tons of pure cocaine in Colombia during a drug raid. Tell yes. us how, tell us about this raid and how you came to participate in the raid and lead the team. Yes. So how I came became a participant in it was basically that was a joint venture between the Navy and the Coast Guard. So the Coast Guard, they would come aboard or embark aboard the naval warship with the LEADET team, uh, which is Central Law Enforcement Detachment team, would come aboard and they knew the area. They knew the business of uh, drug interdiction. The Navy, that's not their strength, uh, but they they can provide the legs on the warship and uh, and uh, some other resources. So I was these, the, uh, the leading boarding officer on a VBSS team, and VBSS stands for Visit, Board, Search, and Seizure uh, team. And then you have a leader, which is the boarding officer. So I was the leading boarding officer uh, on that team. So we had great intel coming from uh, the Navy and the Coast Guard about the whereabouts of these different uh, merchant vessels that were out there. So uh, in this one vessel that was out there, we thought it was going to be just a normal standard drug bus. But when we got into it and we seized the vessel, we learned and saw that hey, this ship has a lot more cocaine on it than we originally thought. So it ended up being uh, nearly 14 metric tons. And keep in mind that cocaine is something that gets cut and cut and cut three, four, five times. So imagine this was pure cocaine and you still had nearly 14 metric tons. So that ended up being a U.S. maritime uh, record in history for that for that time. Uh, it was superseded. Uh, two years after that, but it really showed the the workmanship between the the Navy uh, and the Coast Guard to help get these drugs off the streets. So usually, when you think about drugs being brought off the street, you think about the police yeah. and uh, and the drug bust there, which that is true. But no one really thinks about the Navy, you know, and the Coast Guard with you know helping you know minimize some uh, you know mitigating some of the drugs that's on the street, but. The Navy and the uh, and the Coast Guard, they are taking off tons of drugs from making to making their way to America. Tons. What year was that? What year was that? That was, that was in 2000. Uh, and uh, we, we started that. Yeah, we started in 2000. I ended in 2001. Uh, after that, I went on to my uh, postgraduate school. But yeah, the Navy and the Coast Guard, they are hot and heavy. That was in the Caribbean, by the way. So they are hot and heavy on that. And you just really don't hear about it. But, it, but it's amazing, amazing work that they're doing out there uh, with, uh, with regards to drugs and drug trafficking. You, 
That's that's impressive. Yeah, I served also in Colombia, so I was trying to figure out if I was doing that my time, but no. I figure you older yeah. than me now, so you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but, but that's you, awesome, and we we have that ahead. all down pat. You know, the Navy, uh, big Navy works as you already know with 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 the Navy with the Navy SEALs, uh, Coast Guard, and Army. They work across the board uh, with so many different elements, and it's really awesome to see. And of course, uh, other countries. It's so awesome to see. Uh, our military working really, really well with other services. And let me let me say this: uh, part of my, and this this may answer partially answer a question uh, later. But part of what I'm doing really is taking some of the core values that you and I have in the military that we have been taught in the military, and really bringing this to the public sector as far as our you know, our practices, our business rules, our best practices, those kinds of things. And let me just give you one quick example. Uh, back in the day, uh, I started on submarines. And uh, I'll tell you more about that later if you want me to tell you. But the, the point I want to make here is I would be a part of a submarine uh, command. We called ourselves the blue, the, the blue team. So you had the blue crew and then you had the gold crew on ballistic missile submarines. So the blue crew would have everybody from the commanding officer all the way down to the most junior enlisted guy. And we would run that ship, go out to sea, go on, do alert status, do everything we need to do, come back and everybody get off the ship and an entire new crew come aboard and do the same thing. New captain and everything. So we would swap every you know, six months or nine months or so. We would swap. Right. So just stop right there and think about that. What business in America do you know where the CEO of a blue chip company or any company, the CEO all the way down to the lowest worker bee can just stop what they're doing and depart and get a whole nother CEO and another team and actually make that business run just as efficient. So it's really unheard of. But the military is so concise and so precise and so disciplined in what we do that we can take everybody from the top guy all the way down, get them all off and get someone else top down and not skip a beat. Wow. That's impressive. I didn't know that about the ships. That's impressive. You yeah. Kind of so that's our... what I'm to do. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do is part of my motivational speeches is really getting things to corporate America and to Americans that they just haven't had, or I don't see any evidence of it. So old glory is that. So old glory, as you guys know, I have been doing 55 old glory performances for retirement ceremonies and things like that every year, 55 a year for a couple of like about three years. And then I started going into the public sector to all these various states and really pushing the message of patriotism and love of country to corporate America. So because that's that's where it was missing at. So really I'm taking these strong core values and really pushing it out to the public sector. Impressive. You kind of touch basics to it, but I wanted to so the audience understand as well. You you went to university in the in the Navy. You you say you went to postgraduate, right? Can you talk a little bit to the audience about that real quick and then we go back to Yes. Y yeah. Yes, you so, mean the yeah, for the uh for the undergraduate, right? Yes. Okay, okay, yeah. So the undergraduate, uh, let me just say this plain and simple. If it wasn't for the Navy's BOOST program, B-O-O-S-T, that stands for Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training. If it wasn't for that program, I would have never become a commissioned officer. The Navy really took a lot of things where blacks like me were disadvantaged, and it really right set some things. For example, when I was in, when I, before I joined the military as a junior high kid, I was taken out of my school, my junior high school in sixth period and seventh period to go and bail hay with the local farmers. So needless to say, I flunked because I wasn't getting my curriculum done on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's kind of the way they did things in the South. They would take four of the black guys, take them out of school and you go bail hay. Then you come back when the bus is ready to take the rest of the kids and you go home. So you do that two days out of the week. So I ended up falling behind. And then, but when I got into the Navy, the Navy had this broad opportunity for officer selection and training program that even though I was deficient in certain areas as, as I grew up, 
the Navy really helped balance some things and right set some things that really was off. So the Navy really has an amazing program to help minorities uh, not only get ahead. So it's not a handout, it's a hand up. You know, so that's what got me there at the at the uh, the University of Memphis really was the Navy's uh, 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 program. And they actually helped me with job placement for my spouse and college selection. So uh, I don't think many people know that the military really gets into that kind of level of detail. Help your wife get a job, get you a college university that's good for family building, you know, and get you up to speed to where you can compete and do well in college. Wow. That's, uh, that's very impressive. Can you go back and tell us a little bit more about how you came about public speaking? Because you said that the commanders just selected you to speak to four to 6,000 people. Well, there had to be a reason. Yeah. Well, why? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was kind of staged. So the, the, the first the, the first command, which was basically the Navy uh, uh, DDG, that's uh, roughly about 300 some odd folks. So. And on those platforms, I was, uh, you know, the de- one of the department heads, and I would always have to make announcements. It was my job as as an officer to make announcements of, especially when the ship is in a war type scenario, rehearsal uh, exercise, those type of things. So you need to have a narrator that can get there, speak what the helicopter is doing, what the ship is doing, so the entire crew can can uh, know what what is happening. But I would do that in a way that would be really kind of uh, inspirational. So I put that little extra effort into it to really motivate the crew to get ready for battle stations, to get ready to get your job done. You know, so, and that tenacity and that effort that I put into it really paid off because that's when the commanding officer said, hey, you want to put him with the, with the, big, the big deck. So I went with the big deck uh, platform, which is the carrier, and, uh, and got before all those people. Now, of course, that's do or die. You do well. It's going to reflect well. You do poorly. It's going to reflect poorly on you. It's lots of people. So, and that's a lesson learned in life. Sometimes you get an opportunity, but when you get that opportunity, make sure you hit the nail on the head. You know, so uh, so that was just an opportunity that I needed to 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 capitalize on. Did I deserve it? Uh, the the commanding officer of the carrier didn't know me. So uh, sometimes you, you you get an opportunity. You get the stage. When you're on the stage perform. You know, so uh, and the same can be said for the Pentagon. So when I got there, there was a big stage. You have nothing but admirals and generals there. You get that big stage, you have to perform. So uh, so that's kind of the lesson there is if you get that opportunity, perform. You know, so and that's how that went. But that, but um, I'll tell you, when I was performing at the Pentagon, uh, that is really where it was. a. Uh, I had to eat some humble pie because they took Old Glory, and even though Old Glory had been around for decades, for some odd reason, they just weren't really paying a lot of attention to it. But when I began to read it, I guess I read it in such a way with passion and with uh, with strength. They heard every word, and it registered with them. They didn't like every word, but they heard it. And uh, so they started critiquing me, but uh, critique is too kind. They started bashing me and telling me, you need to fix this. You need to fix that. And in spite of me telling them, it's not my product. It's a Navy poem. I'm simply reading it. They didn't care. I was up there talking it. I needed to fix it. So it was that moment where I began to to take old glory. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to get beat up like this, I'm going to take this and I'm going to make it mine. So I started changing old glory and made it fit to where all of these high ranking officials and admirals and generals can be pleased. And uh, and I had to eat some humble pie. They were so, right. And I'll tell you now, they were right. I I listened. I was humble with it. And I'm so, so glad that I did. And the last officer that uh, I'm going to say he corrected me, but uh, was was uh, Tony Thomas, General Tony Thomas. Yeah. He basically told me, he said, Van, <clears throat> you don't have any soft SOF equities in old glory. And I didn't. So he told me to do it and I did it. And that's how we get the old glory that you see now today, because I was humble and I listened to, you know, folks that were smarter than me concerning certain things that I just didn't see at the time. Please tell our audience who's Tony Thomas. So, yes, yeah, Tony Thomas was the he's a former special operations command uh, commander. 
So four-star general, now reti- retired. So he was uh, one the, the, at the time the general that we all worked for. And, uh, and he had seen me perform several times, but he was the leader uh, of Special Operations Command. So, and a lot of folks don't know that uh, Special Ops Command along with Central Command are two four-star commands that uh, are, you know, in the, the beautiful city of Tampa. So uh, it's a little bragging rights there uh, that we have. <laughs> but I, I, I just appreciate uh, General Thomas because he didn't have to do that. You know, he didn't have to. He could have just said, hey, you know, I want you to do old glory at my retirement ceremony. And that would have been the end of it. Man, I'm so glad he didn't. I'm glad that he took the time. He literally touched me on the shoulder. and He says, put some soft equities into this. And I'm glad. That's why I say this thing is really destiny. So many people have guided me and said, turn left, young man, turn right, you know, and stop, go. And I've been humble with it. And this is this is this is uh been my life story. <laughs> and with that, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back with the spotlight with Mr. Old Glory, Van Morris. Van, other than Old Glory, what kind of motivational speeches do you do and for whom? Yes, uh, so thank you for asking that. Now, uh, basically, Old Glory is is my, my number one uh, speech yeah, and it's it's the one with all the theatrics to it, with the videos. I've done other speeches, uh, but but none to to that to that extent. So I, I do some speeches, as in just regular talks uh, throughout history for decades. I've done speeches. Some of the places that I've done and some of the topics that I've covered, uh, uh, in, in includes a wide array of topics and locations. One of which, and I can go to extremes here. One of which extreme, I would say, is in the U.S. Uh, prison system. So uh, when I was younger, back in the back in the day, maybe about uh, 15 years ago or so, I uh, really enjoyed going into uh, state prisons and really talking to inmates that are there, motivating them because they were at a point to where they're they're going to be getting out in six months. So I wasn't really there to talk to. Uh, any inmates that was there and just got there and things like that. You had to be an inmate that uh, was in for 15, 20 years and you're on your way out within four months to six months because these people are about to be put back in society, hadn't been in society for a while, and they needed to really hear someone talk about to encourage them of, of what they can do, how never to give up and don't turn back to what got you here in the first place. So uh, not only would I talk to them, I would uh, play the piano a little bit. I would sing a few songs. So I would really do performances, uh, you know, for for the inmates. So that's that's kind of like one one end of the the, the spectrum. Uh, another end of the spectrum would be 
uh, getting involved in the community and doing multiple speeches for marriage and marriage counseling, not necessarily one-on-one, which I do do that as a marriage counselor, but I do forums to where you got 50 to 100 people. And I'm there to to really coach, teach, and mentor uh, with speeches, with uh, applications, those kinds of things. So those big crowds of just, hey, let's do a big marriage seminar kind of thing. So that would be on on another end uh, of the spectrum. And everything in between would be like what you see now, the military doing Old Glory uh, podcasts, uh, and uh, and also uh, doing public speaking for groups that are non-military. One that's near and dear to my heart is the Professional Dairy Producers of America. That's really close and near and dear to my heart because their suicide rate is really up there with veterans. So once I got turned on to what's going on there, uh, I had to realize that, hey, you you can't really just, uh, you know, focus so much on the military. America really wants to hear uh, this message. So we really kind of have to look at a message about, you know, can-do spirit, uh, encouragement, what you do matters, you know, and patriotism. <clears throat> you know, well, so, wait a second, Van. Why um, do help help me here? It's stri- striking me and it's disturbing. Why yes. do dairy growers have a very high suicide rate? Yes. Okay. So uh, first, first of all, you have to see that you know those dairy producers are under a lot of stress because th- th- there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, with them. So as far as, you know, their production, uh, their their economy of scales, uh, how they move forward. Keep in mind that usually it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm saying a mom and pop shop kind of thing. So where dad, mom ran, ran the business and now who's going to who's going to replace mom and dad? Who do they trust? Obviously, the kids. So you kind of feel like you're predestined to do this. And, and and I don't know for certain because it's hard to talk to people about it because they're dead. You know, so you, you really kind of have to really speculate. And I, and I say that with the most humility that uh, anytime you're dealing with suicide, we're really speculating. You know, so uh, and, I, and I do mean that. So but looking at things uh, from what we can see, you know, we, 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 we see that when you when you're predestined, you feel like you're predestined. You don't want to let your parents down. Nobody wants to do that, you know, so, uh, but there you have it. So now there become some regret. There can become a lot of stress and you just don't really see it. So uh, the American dairy producers really, they produce enough uh, milk for all of America, even though there's many Americans going without it uh, due to red tape and whatnot. But yeah, so it's a, it's a thing of stress, unknown, a feeling of obligation. You don't have any way out. And 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 as far as I understand, when it, when it comes to suicide, most of it deals with when people feel that there's no way out. Thank you. Thank you for that. Wow. That's incredible that I, I never yeah. knew that either. I mean, yeah. it's incredible what things that happen in our country that we don't know, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Old Glory is your most popular performance. How did that became the trademark? Yeah, uh, in a very humbling way. So we kind of answered that a little bit, but let me say specifically, it became that based on uh, the public, uh, the public effort. And I say this uh, with all sincerity, and I've said this to other uh, performers, entertainers that I have uh, been able to talk to, and I'll tell them because everyone tells me, "Hey, you know, figure out what you want to do." And go for it. Yeah, there's some truth to that. But really, (laughs) the public, when you get into the public arena, the public really kind of, they kind of guide you. Customers guide you. So if you're selling, uh, I don't know, if you're selling a computer and it's too slow, the public's going to the next guy that's building one faster. So you're building a car and it's it's yellow and no one likes yellow cars. You You better find another paint color. You know, so the public really pushes you. So with Old Glory, if it was left up to Van Morris, I would be reading a paper and it would be the Navy's version of Old Glory. That's what I would do. But, you know, things as they are, you know, the public had another demand signal and you see all the stuff that I added to it, including reading the paper. Did you know that there were two generals that said, Van, you need to abandon that podium. Stop reading the, you know, stop, get from behind that podium. That was my comfort zone. 
I mean, how is someone going to tell me not to be behind a podium? But they wanted me to get out from behind that podium because they said it's more impacting. And the reason why they said that is because, and this is what really made this trademark happen. The reason why they said that is because I was at Special Ops Command during the 9-11 uh, you know, uh, ceremony that we had, I think it was 2017. So anyway, so I'm there and the J6, the J6 had equipment and I wouldn't use it. I was like, you know, what? I'm not using your equipment. I'm using my own. They didn't like that. They were like, hey, why don't you just trust us? And I said, you know what? I'm going to trust you this time. So I trusted them. And uh, when I got in the middle of Old Glory, keep in mind that this is a 9-11 program. We're trying to keep the program on schedule because when a plane hit, we had to, you know, be there yeah, at a yeah. certain time and finish your part at a certain time. So I'm going through Old Glory and I'm knocking it out and, uh, and I'm reading my paper behind a podium. And then my microphone went out. When that uh, mic went out, I didn't know why it went out. So if you can imagine, I'm fiddling with this microphone. Keep in mind that my words have to be synchronized with that music. So I can't stop talking. So I'm fiddling with this microphone, trying to get it to work. And I'm panicking at the same time. And after about 10 seconds, which is eternity, after about 10 seconds, I, I just gave up the mic and I took my paper and I abandoned that podium and I jumped in front of the audience and I just started belting it out. The crowd loved it. And then they decided that, hey, you know what? We don't want you behind a podium. So that meant that I had to learn Old Glory and memorize the whole thing. And that's where the trademark came in because I started personalizing it, getting it tight. General Thomas came in with his recommendations. So I was so far away from the original Old Glory. I had to just say, hey, you know, this is this is beyond that. This is mine at this point. So I, I took ownership. So can you at least for our audience, please? Do the old glory, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is this is on Zoom. We're going to do this. Okay, you want me to go now? Yes, sir. Floor is yours. All right. So, so old glory is a time-honored tradition that symbolizes our service members rise through the ranks. But most importantly, it talks about their love for a nation that they so proudly served. So if I could get you all to use your imagination, imagine our flag having a personality, having a voice. What would it say to its service members and what would it say to you? I believe that if our flag could speak, these are the words that it would say. It would say, I am the flag of the United States of America, but my name is Old Glory. I fly atop the world's tallest buildings and I stand watch in America's halls of justice. I fly majestically across the great institutions of learning. And I stand guard with the greatest military power in the world. Look up and see me. I stand for peace, honor, truth, and justice. I stand for freedom. I am confident, I am brave, I am proud, and I am ready. When I am flown with my fellow banners, my head is held a little higher and my colors are a little truer. Except for my God, I bow to no one. I am recognized all over the world. I am sovereign, I am saluted, I am respected, I am honored, I am loved, and yet I am feared. I have fought in every battle of every war for more than 200 years. Some of these battles include Gettysburg, Shiloh, Appomattox, San Juan Hill, the trenches of France, the Aragon Forest, Anzio, Rome, the beaches of Normandy, Guam, Okinawa, Korea, Kisan, Saigon, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, and Syria, and scores of other places long forgotten by all. Except those that were there with me, I know because I was there. I led my special operations forces in the quiet of the night in the tip of the spear. I saw them fight fearlessly throughout the globe every day of the year. I watched over them even during the casualties of Desert One, and they still loved me. Now they're the fighting forces that you cannot see. I was on a small hill, Iwo Jima. I was dirty, battle-worn, and tired. But my soldiers and my sailors, my airmen, my coast guardsmen, and my marines, they all cheered me, and I was so very proud. I was at Ground Zero in New York City on September the 11th, as cowardly fanatics attacked America. I was raised from the ashes of once proud buildings by brave firefighters. These were heroes 
who risk their lives to save others, showing all that America, although bloodied, will never be beaten because those who would destroy me cannot win. For I am the symbol of freedom of one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I have been soiled, I've been burned, I've been torn, and I have been trampled on in the streets of my own country. And when it is done by those whom I have served with in battle, it hurts. Hear me today when I say, I am strong. I have slipped the surely bonds of earth and from my vantage point on the moon, I stand watch over the uncharted new frontiers of space. I have been that silent witness to all of America's finest hours. But my finest hour comes when my stripes are torn into strips to be used as bandages to cover the wounds of my fellow comrades on the field of battle. And also when I fly at half mass to honor my soldiers and my sailors, my airmen, my coast guardsmen, my Marines, and my space force guardians. But most importantly, when I am placed into the trembling arms of a grieving mother at the gravesite of her fallen son or her fallen daughter, I am so very proud. My name is Old Glory. Long may I wave, dear God. Long may I wave. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That gave us boom filled. My God. Oh, man. oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> man, you guys got me all fired up here. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Van, we're about to end our segment. We are very thankful for you to taking the time. I'm going to pass it to Mr. Harry Thomas, who is going to take Absolutely. us out. Well, yes, man, sir. thank you for that. I feel goosebumps every time I hear and have the opportunity to have you salute our nation and the men and women who put their lives on the line as well as their their families. We know that you do work for veterans and homeless. Um, I work with Care for the Homeless, a New York-based homeless organization also myself. So I know how difficult the challenge is, but we thank you for your service. We thank your three children for their service. We thank your wife for her service. And we never forget that you came from the Matthew and Robinson family and their sacrifices that have brought us to here today. So God bless them also. And let me turn it over to Alex. Thank you. Thank you very much. Man, thank you so much. And this was the spotlight with the ambassador yes, and the chief. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.